I'm Jared Nichols, and this is the best pandemic ever. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Best Pandemic Ever podcast with myself, Jared Nichols, and my co-host, Paul Tulin. Thank you. Thank you. You didn't screw me. You didn't screw oh, yeah. me by pretending not to know my name. Yeah, well definitely. You know, that joke, first. it's barely funny the first time, and then when I do it the third time, it's like, it's just starting to suck after a while. Hey, but but the good news is we have a really awesome guest today, Jeff Dardia. Jeff is the uh, founding director of the Soft Health Initiatives Program. There's a whole lot more to this guy than you know, just that title. Uh, and we're going to jump right into it here. Jeff is, um, we met at the first, well, my first Janus panel at Fort Bragg. And uh, one of the things that immediately caught my attention is that Jeff is also a mountain bike racer. Uh and uh, an avid cyclist and has a number of interests in, in health areas that are just, it'll, that I'm sure we're going to dive into today. So anyway, Jeff, welcome to the show, man. This is great to have you here. I'm glad we could finally make this happen. No, glad to be here. Like I said, everything's coming full circle now and uh, everything going on in the world right now, it goes back to what we're going to talk about today and that's taking ownership of your health and action. So yeah. perfect timing on this, right? In the name of your podcast. So Oh yeah. yeah uh, I just want to, I just do want to say, cause it bears mentioning that anybody who knows both Jeff and I will probably come to the conclusion that the reason he's on this podcast is because he wanted to be, and he had dirt on me. So of course <laughs> I had to let him on. Right? And that would be a very reasonable conclusion. Yeah, yeah. That would be an incredibly reasonable conclusion, <laughs> but that wasn't it at all. We actually reached out to Jeff because of what, you know, what Jared just described, but really Jeff does so much in the field of, you know, assessing and rehabilitating and even curing the things that ail special operations soldiers. Um, and I got this. So this is the question I alluded to in the, you know, before we started, Jeff, that I wanted to ask you. I have this, the, I have this thesis. I have this, I have this hypothesis. And I've discussed it with a couple of guys, but I haven't never had a chance to discuss it with you. My thesis is this. I wonder if it is an impossibility to have a special operations force that doesn't physically consume human capital. What I mean by that is, is it possible to have a bunch of people who will never quit under any circumstance, who will come out the other end after 15, 20 years, completely healthy? My, my thesis is, no, those things are mutually exclusive. And I'm really interested to think what, you know, to, to, to hear what you think about that. Uh, well, let's break it down in two domains, right? Physiologically and psychologically. And talk about um, allostatic load and allostasis, right? So we'll go keep I'm it. I'm already lost. I'm already ba- confused. Basic terms, it. right? So, <laughs> keep so it keep al- it kindergarten, please, so for Paul's I'm, sake. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go PhD to GED right now, right? So <laughs> allostasis is how you adapt to your environment, right? And that's done through hormones and reactions in your body to make you resilient to that environment so you don't break or get injured or ill and die, Right. If you take everything away from our environment, away from the human body, it goes towards health and healing, right? It, it, wasn't, it wasn't created to go to destruction immediately as soon as you come out of the womb. It's meant to grow, become resilient, and adapt to the environment that you put it in, right? Incredible piece of machinery that we were issued right from birth, but we have no idea how to operate and maintain this thing, right? So what we have right now is imagine, you know, I'm going to go to the military side of things. We took people in basic training and handed them a weapon and said, go to war, see you later, 
right? What do you think is going to happen with that equipment? Not the one they got issued. They don't know how to operate and they're going to hurt somebody, right? If you look at every piece of equipment or anything you buy from a store, it has, hey, read the operator manual first so you don't cause death or injury or harm it yourself or anyone else, right? But we have this piece of equipment that we were given and there's no operator manual. There's no technical manual. There's nothing. It says, okay, here's some education, right? But we're not gonna teach you how to repair and maintain this thing. And that comes through lifestyle and environmental factors, right? Of what we put ourselves uh, through and what we put into ourselves as far as food or things we like to do in our off time, right? I'll leave it at that. But the bottom line is, is that the human body Take away all those external uh, conditions, circumstances, and influences. That's the operational environment, right? And then let it balance, right? Homeostasis, how your body maintains balance. And every bad decision we make and every bad place we go affects that homeostasis, that balance in the body. And when you look at the special operations community, we're extremophiles, right? We're in the worst environments for the longest amount of time. And we just keep running into this horrible environment over and over again, right? And imagine your immune system being your force field to block all of these uh, hazards in your environment from hurting you, right? And then if you do get hurt, your immune system helps you repair and build resiliency. And so what we do in our community, right, we stress inoculate and put you through all these things to make you resilient. But at some point in time, we have to assess and select people that come from these harsh environments that are already adapted to a certain level, right? We see it in selection assessment. Why do we select and assess the people we do? It's because we can adapt easily to any environment and we're very resilient to a high stress, high threat environment, right? We can endure for, through a lot of things, both psychologically and physiologically. It's not because, you know, we have a PhD or we were, came from a Fortune 500 country. It's that we can adapt to the most austere environments in the world and do it under the worst conditions. And that's what we'll talk about today. And going back to your point in your thesis is that right now um, we have like a shelf life, right? We're seeing operators get to about the 15-year mark. I'd say about 80% of them. There's some freaks out there that just crush it all the way through 20 years and they walk out pretty much unscathed, right? That's probably some of the genetic factor. And then we have this other group that just a ball of flames, they hit a wall and then all of a sudden they're in survival mode. They're not thriving in anything. They're just getting by. And, you know, it's just one more deployment, one more promotion and anything they can do, kicking and screaming, getting there. It's not thriving. It's not enjoyable like it used to be. Right. And we can all relate to that. It's not just a military thing. This it happens in the civilian sector, but usually it's more to the right with us. We're we're seeing the things, the, the medical conditions and the psychological conditions happening at a much earlier time frame. So we're exposed to more under the worst conditions. And then we're starting to see diseases, metabolic diseases that you'd see people 60s and 70s in your 30s and 40s, right? So we'll do that. That's what we, we're referring to today. I'll talk about operator syndrome and those, those symptoms and conditions that go along with our career field. But going back to your point, I think as technology evolves with gene editing and uh, regenerative medicine and all these things that, yes, the physiological part, we can get there. But psychologically, you can only take so much before you break, right? Until we can learn how to program, reprogram the brain and literally wipe out like a hard drive trauma and things that happen to us where we get past our allostatic load and we break, right? That's where we're PTSD is unmanageable, uncontrollable, helpless, hopeless, powerless to change the outcome of the situation and you break, right? You feel 
that nothing you could have done changed the outcome of that situation. And then it plays like a broken record over and over and over again. Right. You see what sexual trauma, career, loss of a career, loss of a loved one, uh, death of a, a teammate or whatever it is that you feel some responsibility that that you couldn't change the outcome of that situation. And then every time you close your eyes, that plays over and over again. That's by definition PTSD, right? Post-traumatic stress disorder. You, you're not adapted to that environment. Now you're in survival mode and your, your nervous system is telling you, hey, dude, don't do this again because you almost died or someone else died. And it triggers that response to you to make you fearful and very in tune to that environment to prevent you from going down that road again. Does that all make sense? Yeah. Pretty clear definition of what that is. Yeah, yeah you know, so, oh, go, go ahead. ahead <laughs> well, just to add on to that, or to get your uh, confirmation on this, you and I talked about this when we met in person, that uh, adrenaline is the most addictive drug, right? So that that fight or flight, you know, you're, you're cre creating adrenaline. I mean, we talked about this with, uh, you know, even in the civilian world, mountain biking, mountain right. bike racing, road racing, like you are pushing your body to extremes and yeah. it gives you, and while it sucks, while it's happening, that, you know, the adrenaline rush and then that come down and all that creates this chemical um, experience, if you will, that becomes really addicting, uh, oh, like yeah. any drug. And so I can, <laughs> how much of that that you're talking about uh I guess compared to a normal, even like somebody who's an, an athlete who trains and does a number of those things, but does not go through the traumatic experiences that an operator goes through over a period of 15 to 20 years, that chemical experience, if you will, for lack of a better word, how have right. you seen that play out? I mean, just overall, like, I mean, because that seems to be one of the most unsustainable things, unless it is being supplemented, you know, by something else to artificially create right. it, which also has its, you know. I'm entrance. glad you said that. So. We'll talk, we'll differentiate between chronic stress, which is your, your allostatic load being overloaded. And then we'll go to your acute stressors, right? Short term, short duration that you bounce back from real quick and then build that strength, resiliency and learning new information, right? So we'll, we'll talk about athletes, right? So athletes, they go through incredible amounts of training. It's high intensity, it's focused, but guess what? They have recovery, right? Mm -hmm. They see recovery is just as important or equal to the actual training for the event because you have to build that resiliency so you're not getting injured. Right. Yep. But with us in our community, it's anything worth doing is worth overdoing. Right. We don't. And then the amount of task saturation that we get from work and then self-induced because that's where we feel normal, that we never get a time to recover. So that allostatic load mm -hmm. constantly hammering on you, your buckets full. It starts overflowing and we're not doing anything this to put holes in that bucket to off gas that stress. Right. Yep. So for we have internal and external stressors. Right. So we'll, we'll talk about, you know, internal stressors like anxiety, sleep disorders, poor nutrition, you know, and then you got your relationships and work stressors. Then you have environmental factors, right? External air pollution, toxins and all these things. Right. Injuries getting shot at and blown up. All those things are part of that environment and that environment getting overloaded on you, your body can only handle so much. So like I said, everyone's different. That recipe for your allostatic load is going to be different, but the body can only take so much. And then eventually what happens is if you don't get into that parasympathetic state where you do the repair and the maintenance, the deep sleep, the relaxation, the digestion and absorption, the reproductive health, all those things suffer, right? 
And that's where we see with a metabolic dysfunction is you become catabolic, which is wear and tear and breakdown, right? And to get out of wear and tear and breakdown, you have to do recovery. And that goes into shutting the sympathetic, the gas pedal, taking your foot off the gas pedal and actually applying the parasympathetic brake pedal and doing the work, doing the maintenance and forcing your body to shut down, unplug and actually do the self-care, right? We don't do that in our community. That doesn't exist. There is no brake pedal. The gas pedal, we don't hit the brake. We just let off the gas pedal. And that's what happens to us. And what we see it is that we'll go until literally the wheels fall off. So our guys will go until they're either at the point of killing themselves or they have cancer or heart disease. And then they go, oh, I need to go get help, mm-hmm. right? Or after mm-hmm. they get a DUI or a divorce, oh, I think something's wrong with me. But in, <laughs> while, they're, while they're in their career, imagine your car, all the check engine lights going off, right? We're driving along, right? Oh, put tape over that one. Don't worry about that little guy. That's self-medicating or a drug from a doctor, right? I have pain. The pain light goes on. Okay, bloop, drink that. Pain's gone. Gas pedal's still on the floor. All of a sudden, oh, I got migraine headaches. Oh, there's another pill for my migraine. We'll go down the whole list. Sexual dysfunction, short-term memory problems, weight gain, erectile dysfunction, all of those things are the check engine lights that are going and we're just hammering on that gas pedal like nothing's wrong. Yeah. Just keep taking yeah. your meds and then eventually the wheels fall off and the hood blows out and the, the smoke starts coming out. Those are your chronic illnesses. That's heart disease, that's cancer, that's diabetes, that's neurodegeneration. All of those, COPD, all those things start coming on with chronic illness. And that's wh- that when it goes from early indicators to catastrophic failure, right? And if it, I'll take it back one more step on that. In the military, we do what's called PMCS, right? So it's preventative maintenance checks and services. And so think about your car after 3,000 miles. You're supposed to go get an oil change, right? Rotate the tires, check the fluids, and do all these things. With us, we don't have that PMCS, right? We always talk about the first soft truth being humans are more important than hardware, right? But our hardware actually has checks and services and a 2404 form to identify deficiencies and defects. And then what you do for implementations to fix those, right? And then you go along with your equipment and it has a service life. We just got, hey man, you got to make it to 20 years. And then if you get heart disease or cancer, then we'll fix you. But there's no preventative in there and there's no checks and services. So that's what we have to do if we want to get that operator to the 20 year mark talking about delaying that onset of operator syndrome and hitting the wall that we have to do the preventative side of the house prehab instead of rehab everything we do right now is reactionary right so after you have your disease your doctor gives you pills and then treats you but they don't tell you hey you're pre-diabetic and are about to get diabetes start controlling your diet and your lifestyle right now so you don't have diabetes you don't get paid by doing that right You get paid by treating and doing procedures and getting ICD codes by the insurance company, not preventing illness. So it's pretty conflict of interest of being healthy, right? So we'll save that for another day. Well, I say I take two things from that. One, um, it's too late for me. (laughs) Never never too late. Oh, no, it is way too late for Paul. I'd really like to, if we can, park for a moment on Jared and a discussion of acute erectile dysfunction. <laughs> really, what I, what I wanted to know. <laughs> I can see him. The only reason I brought that up is that I could see, we're doing this on video, I could see that son of a bitch just waiting for his opportunity to get to that joke first. So I, I had to get in there first. No, no. no. But I, listen, listen. I, I want to ask you, though. One of the things that we're not talking about, it seems to me, is nobody is talking about 
the crisis that we had prior to the crisis we're in now, which is a crisis of poor health. Yes. And all of these, you know, I'm look, I don't have the nearly I have no medical expertise and I certainly don't have an understanding that even comes remotely close to what you know, what you have a mastery of. But it seems to me that the thing that is repetitively that, that you see over and over again is this this notion of comorbidity. And it's always it seems essentially lifestyle related comorbidity. So obesity, heart disease, diabetes, all these things. And no one is saying, hey, listen, one of the things we have to take away from this is a wake up call that we are in bad health as a nation, as a, you know, as a society. Um, so how does that kind of and it seems to me that that's kind of the same the same load on the person that you're describing for, a, you know, for a soft operator. OK, so perfect. I'm glad you said that. So nutrition is the foundation of all health, right? Everything that you put in your body is either fighting disease or fueling it. So if we looked at ourselves like a race car, right, you wouldn't put, you know, 87 octane in a Formula One race car, right, or a top fuel funny car. But when we talk about the modern American diet, that's literally putting that crappy gas into a race car when it comes to talking about a tactical athlete, right? And we're talking about, I'll, I'll bring it back to COVID-19. What are the, who are the high risk people? People with the comorbidities, right, of heart disease, diabetes, though they're all just say diabetes, right? Diabetes. That's metabolic dysfunction. You're overweight. You have cholesterol, blood pressure problems, right? That's metabolic syndrome. That's also part of operator syndrome, right? That's the metabolic dysfunction. And that comes to lifestyle and environment, like you talked about. And no one talks about making the body more resistant to coronavirus. They talk about vaccines, right? So think about that for a second. If you make your body and your immune system so strong that it doesn't need a vaccine, why? And then you just keep eating like crap and being fat, like you're setting yourself up for failure, right? For me, I want to know how to make myself more resilient to that environment, those viruses, those pathogens and all those things. I don't want an easy button. I don't want a magic pill. I want to make my equipment the most efficient and effective and optimal piece of equipment that I could ever own. So I don't need any of those. I do not want a disease. By the time you get to dis-ease, think about that word, say it out loud, dis-ease, it's because of what you've done to yourself, not taking care of your equipment, right? Some genetic factors in there, but we're talking less than 20% of your problems in your life with diseases are caused by lifestyle and environmental factors. So that comes, you shouldn't learn that when you're an adult, right? That should start when you're a child in the household. Like if we want to teach people how to make themselves resilient and healthy, you start that from a young age so they build those habits from day one. We're talking about national security, what you said. Uh, close to 80% of Americans, right, are ineligible to join the military because right. of health reasons and psychological reasons and, and uh, criminal activity. But also over two-thirds of the population are considered obese or overweight. That's insane, right? So already just look at the United States of America. Imagine 60 to 70% of people being high risk for COVID-19. Is it a shock why all these people are dying in this country, right? It's the young, healthy people. There are some, there's a genetic component to this and blood type stuff. I won't get into that. I'm not an epidemiologist, but I can tell you that the people who take care of themselves and have strong immune systems and less of an immune reaction, the cytokine storm that they're getting from the immune reaction from COVID-19, 
if they have optimal equipment, it's not that bad for them, right? We, I've, I've got family members with it right now that I just thought I had the sniffles and lost sense of smell or taste and didn't know I had it until I got tested, right? I know some other people that are like, this is the worst thing that ever happened to me in my entire life. And the people that I saw that had the worst effects to it were the people who had anxiety, depression, some type of metabolic problem, and were in a horrible environment where they don't sleep and they're always stressed out, right? So talking about that force field we're building through you know, our lifestyle and environmental factors and making better decisions, right? Personal protective lifestyle, personal protective nutrition, making ourselves less fragile. That's interesting. That's really, really interesting about the anxiety and stress because yeah, I haven't right. heard anybody talk about that at all. Because you wonder how some of these folks like, uh, you know, and not to go on about this, but I'm a big, a big Cleveland Browns fan. So I'm used to disappointment. Uh, but Miles Garrett got COVID and apparently it just kicked his ass. And that dude is in, from all appearances, optimal yeah. health, right? And I'm sure there's plenty of problems there, but you, you think to yourself, okay, well, how does he get that? And then a guy who's like the epitome of not being healthy, Donald Trump, you know, who clearly has a lot of stress and doesn't sleep well or anything like <laughs> loves that. Loves McDonald's. <laughs> yeah, loves McDonald's. Now, of course, he has the top doctors who are going to work with him on stuff, but he gets COVID and kicks it in four days. There's no yeah. consistency in that. But it, I, I think that's incredibly interesting. And Jeff, this is something that keeps standing out to me. If we think about the big picture um, overall in your community, and again, as an outsider making observations and you know, analogies and how these things fit together. To me, it seems like one of the fundamental problems is that uh, when guys come in, go through selection, they're young, right? You know, I'm 42 years old. I still think I'm really young. I mean, I think the same things with endurance athletes. I used to say this when I was racing all the time before kids. I look around the peloton and I thought this would be a really interesting socio-psychological experiment because I'm pretty sure all of these guys have some kind of social disorder or their attention deficit because you've never seen so much aggression and testosterone with in, in lycra and shaved legs on men. I was like, this is just the most nuts group, but they all, it's just this weird group of people. And to me, it's, you know, you're going to, your whole incentive model in that world, uh, like cycling, whatnot is the idea of rest is seen as weakness, even though, mm -hmm. you know, rest is what makes you stronger in your world. Right. If the underlying premise, correct me if I'm wrong here, is the mission at all costs, then there is no incentive to slow down and rest. Right. So it, it flies in the face. When you get older, you start to feel it like, oh, right. you know, like Paul, who's a perfect example of failing health. And just, you know, he, I'm surprised he's still here, to be honest with you. I mean, like he's a ticking time bomb. So, Paul, <laughs> but right, like your, your body's breaking down. Some of the guys I met yesterday, I mean, I see yeah. it in their face guys that are younger than me look 10 years older than me. Yeah. And that's just, that's that accumulated stress. So that's uh, the allostatic load, right? That's that, all those factors bearing down on them. It's wild. Guys it's that are 40 years old with full heads of gray hair. And I'm thinking, dude, well, I might have that too. I shave mine. So I, I don't have to deal <laughs> with that truth. But it, do you see that there's a problem with, with the incentive structure on the beginning? Cause you know, back to Paul's original thesis that it's impossible to have somebody go all the way through, you know, except right. for me, those rare genetic exceptions and come out on the other end in good shape. How, how would you address this in the beginning as somebody who knows and understands this at a really high level or can it be addressed? So it's actually being addressed right now in our programs where we work. Um, we're going to put all this information up front. So 
they can get the operator manual early, right? So they can identify all these things as they're happening and they know what they mean, right? You can't solve a problem if you don't understand the problem, right? It's part of the operations process we do at work. And if you do not clearly identify that problem and they're not aware of it, how could you ever work at fixing it, right? You can't. If everyone knows that, you know, you know, if you're going to breathe in toxins, you're going to get toxicity, right? But we were told when we grew up, sleep was a crutch, right? Oh, you don't need that. That's just a crutch. Well, we now know that's not true. This younger generation knows about sleep deprivation, the effects. Um, it's just to give it a, a statistic in the military, uh, sleep disorders and insomnia rates are up 650% since 2003, wow. right? So think about that. We're going to, I'll, I'll tie them all in together. When you're when you have insomnia, you're tw you're two and a half times more likely to take your own life, right? Suicide over doubles the risk of suicide suicidal ideation. If you have brain injury, it's nine times more likely to kill yourself, right? So that's pretty significant. And we know that when you have brain injury, eighty eighty percent of people with brain injuries have sleep disorders, right? So we're talking about two things that are known in our environment in the military traumatic brain injury and sleep disorders, then we have a suicide and a cancer problem, right? Those are the two biggest threats to the force and soft or suicide and cancer. So we look at those things, we tie them together and we say, how does, how do we mitigate that, right? So we're talking about making those decisions and being aware. Well, if we understand that alcohol, tobacco, and firearms, think of ATF, alcohol is group one human carcinogen, right? Tobacco, group one human carcinogen, some processed foods, group one, human carcinogens, and then heavy metals and toxic emissions from munitions and air pollution are carcinogens, right? What defines a carcinogen? Damaging and disrepair of DNA, right? And if you do that, what is those toxins causing is mitochondrial dysfunction, DNA damage, DNA disrepair, which all equals metabolic dysfunction, right? With metabolic dysfunction causes metabolic diseases, right? Heart disease, cancer, neurodegeneration, right? Diabetes, all those things are metabolic. And then we pull all these things out. Okay. If I didn't know all those things I was doing in my operational environment were causing all that oxidative stress and mitochondrial dysfunction. And on my off time, when I'm not shooting, I'm putting all those things into my body. You understand that we're doing just probably, if not more damage to ourselves by making uninformed, bad decisions, taking the performance down, our longevity, longevity comes down, right? That's degradation of performance and quality of life, self-inflicted, because we don't understand what we're doing to ourselves. So if you teach this at a young age and the beginning of a career, then you make those better decisions. We're extending that shelf life of the operator out. It's that simple. It's literally when but, you, when you, but you know as well as I do that I knew, like not to the way you've described that, but right. uh, I knew the importance, again, I, you know, from cycling, because that was my drug of choice, right? Yeah. It's like, I'm going to go all out, had all this time. I love the stuff that'd be over five hours because it's just, that was, man, and I knew I needed to rest, yeah. but I wouldn't. And then I would wonder why I wasn't recovering. And I would, at the same time, know why I wasn't recovering. And then I would go out for a ride. And look, well, I'll do a recovery ride, which was never a recovery ride. So, so I think the, the, my big question is how do you take all of that, condense it down into a way that makes it 
that makes it stick because I can only imagine young guys coming through, they get selected. What are they wanting to do? They want to go kick in doors. They're ready to rock. They're ready to make this thing happen, getting them to slow down. Like how do they, how does it get embedded into the psyche of an operator that if you don't do this? I'm so glad that you said this, right? Because as an operator, there's two places you want to operate the battlefield and the bedroom, right? I'm straight <laughs> yeah, up. Sure. Yeah. Straight up. Yeah. Right. I mean, that's your, the two F's right. Fighting and the other one. And when you take a person out of combat and put them at home and they can't do the other F thing, the fun thing, mm-hmm. we got a problem, right? And if if I can tell you that, hey, all those bad decisions you're making, they're going to take you off the battlefield in the bedroom, then they're, they're going to perk up. Like for me, I'm telling you firsthand experience. Mm-hmm. I did not care about any other injury or illness I ever dealt with. It was the bedroom that forced me to get help. I didn't care. I was like, you can light me on fire, take my limbs. I don't care. But the only thing that keeps me alive when I come home is the bedroom. Right. And that was it. And I'm like, all right, I'm getting fixed. And that was it. That drove me to get fixed. I swear to God. And uh, I didn't care. This shit's getting real now. Oh, yeah. yeah. (laughs) We got to fix some stuff. Yeah. (laughs) I I don't know if this is unique to me, but I'm going to tell you what. Those were my priorities. Like family's uh, the other F, obviously. But you can't have a family if the other F isn't working. Right. Yeah. So what do most people do? They self-medicate or use alcohol or something else as an excuse. Oh, it doesn't work or oh, I'm stressed out or whatever. They don't understand why they're not working. Right. So if I can get you to focus on being more effective and lethal in the battlefield and more effective, I won't say lethal, but I'll just stick with effective in the bedroom and being help. I'll just say quality of life. Right. If I can optimize your quality of life and make you stronger, faster, smarter, you're going to say, okay, I want to do this. We're competitive by nature. Yeah. If you ain't first, you're last, right? That's SF. <laughs> Everything, everything's a competition. We're the most competitive people. And it's not just physiological things, right? In the gym, it's everything, right? And if we can show people where they sit on a chart compared to your peers, right? All right, who's the strongest, who's the fastest runner, swimmer. And we can put this all, this is why we use wearables and we're doing our new programs in the military is because we can put everybody out against each other and show them on paper. This is where you sit amongst your peers. Once you start doing that, I have to be better, right? So you're going to be competitive by nature. You're going to want to be stronger, faster, smarter. And then you move the needle once you learn how to move the needle and become more effective at moving your own needle to be, become that. That's when you take ownership of health and action. And when you do that and become competitive, then you'll start seeing people like think of mountain biking, right? Like if you look at the best mountain bikers in the world, like downhill, for example, we're talking hundreds of a second off in a three to five minute race. Like think of that. Like how do I get a hundredth or three hundredth of a second faster, right? For us, we don't get a trophy. We come off the battlefield alive and we take our buddies back home, right? So that's that's where we have that of getting down range, being more effective, and then coming back and then having quality of life. Uh, a lot, I did, I, when I knew I was messed up is that I didn't care what I did at home. All I wanted to do was get back to combat, right? That was the funnest, most, you know, gratifying thing I was doing in my life was running missions in Afghanistan. And I was like, holy crap. I was like, I remember coming home and looking at all the things in my garage. I'm like, I don't use those things anymore. What do I do now? I'm in schools, I'm training, training, to go to schools or I'm training to go to combat. And then that was it. And I was like, I've let all these things go away. And that's when I was like, I need to get back to living again, not existing. And that's what I used mountain biking and skiing and skateboarding and surfing and all those things I used to do to reconnect back to who I was 
and get that quality of life back and then learn how to balance. We're talking about work-life balance, right? Work-life balance, it was, we, we want to talk about family. It's our priority. Uh, Paul, you always talk about it all the time. You know, you got to be honest with yourself. Is Was that really your priority if you were gone 90% of the year? And then when you reflect on that and you're like, holy crap, it was all work, right? I, I love my family and it's the most important thing. But I spent a significant amount of more time dealing with work-related issues than I should have been with my family, right? So that work-life balance for me, single dad, right, divorced, being on a team, and then trying to balance like training, operations, you know, all those responsibilities there, being, you know, planning and task organization, all those things, and then try to balance, you know, a kid in school, doctor's appointments, family, custody battles, whatever it was. I was smashed, right? My home life was worse than my work life. So deployment was a vacation for me, going through all that. So I didn't know what work-life balance was. And when I started learning about all this stuff, I'm like, oh my God, I'm like, now I know why all these things happen to me, right? So when that allostatic load is massive, your immune system's crushed. Your repair, your maintenance, your recovery is gone, right? And then what do we do? We just smash that gas pedal. That force field comes down. We go into that horrible environment. And then all of a sudden, those toxins that are supposed to bounce off you are storing up in your body, causing damage. That sleep deprivation is causing all that inflammation to go wild from the toxins. And that all that self-medicating stuff at the bar has way more of an effect when you're not recovered or have your force filled up, right? So when you're vulnerable to your environment and you overdo your environment, you're going to have way more effects from your environment, right? So we talked about people who are more resilient, why they don't happen to th things that happen to us happen to them right well look at the home environment you know what we're talking about the wife and family being super uh structured and you know having your back and taking care of those things when you're gone think of that support network you have at home and then that those meals being prepped for you that environment being controlled and you're not out at the bar all the time because you're taking care of your family Think about all these different variables, right, that affect from officer to enlisted or senior enlisted to junior enlisted to divorce to single. All those conditions, circumstances, and uh, influences the operational environment bear down on the ability of the body to reflect, uh, deflect all that stuff, right? So if you've got your shit together and you've got all those controlled uh, controllables controlled, and those variables controlled, you're going to be way more resilient and way more efficient and effective in your environment. But if you're the guy that doesn't know about any of this stuff and you're just juggling all of these things and they're crushing you all the time, you're going to be in survival mode, just kicking and I used to call it kicking and screaming. Like every school I'd go through, I was like, man, this used to be so easy. Now I'm in the point in my career where I'm kicking and screaming to get through everything. And it was like struggle. It wasn't fun like it used to be. And that's where I knew I was like, okay, this is my body is like maxed out. And it's not just because of the physiological things, but a lot of the psychological stressors that I was dealing with. And it crushed me. And that was when the light bulb went off. I'm like, I've been so hyper-focused on toxic exposures and TBI and, you know, infectious disease stuff that I was like, even knowing that what stress does to you, I didn't realize how much that I had on my plate. And I was looking at, you know, we're talking, I just talked about my military career. I didn't talk about all my stuff with foundations and volunteering and running and creating programs, volunteering, working as a peer mentor and an advocate, public speaking. Like I was like, holy cow, like poof, all of it was up there. And I was like, okay, 
I, if I'm trying to tell people to do these things, I need to start doing them myself. So I had to learn how to say no, and I'm, I'm still guilty, but now I, I literally just got done filming for another project. I've got a couple new projects I'm standing up helping uh, Gold Star families and Afghan interpreters or just interpreters from overseas that work with SOF, creating new programs for them to help them deal with all the stuff we're talking about because they have nothing, right? And then the family members that are the third and fourth order effects of our horrible lifestyle choices and career choices, the effects it has on them. So getting them brought in to teach them all these things and then take care of them as well. So we're literally coming full circle to this discussion of all the things that we say yes to and then trying to manage those. Right. But what I've done now is try to be more task organized with scheduling and then deliberately blocking days off where I say no to everything, don't answer the phone and actually shutting down. Like I've been trying to be way better at that and balancing that out, forcing myself to go. That's a hard thing to do. Yeah. That literally has been my hardest thing to do is to say no to things because you want to help. You want to make things better. We're fixers. That's every SF guy is right. We're fixers. We never settle for something half-assed. We always want to make it better. And we always want to fix every crisis we see out there. That's, why we run into crisis on a constant basis, right? But that's where that's our environment. That's where we feel comfortable in. And, you know, that's where we all end up together in that environment is because we're all wired the same way. Well, that's it. So, so it's funny because we, you and I have talked about my sleep before because I'm one of those guys, you know, I'm a sleep apnea guy. And I thought, oh, okay. Once I got past the psychology of wearing that stupid machine <laughs> and now I'm one of those guys, I thought, you know, okay, well, that – that, that, you know, people say once you adjust to it, it's life changing. And for a while, you know, it kind of was. And but, you know, and then and then I was telling you, I was like, but man, I'm, I'm still I still have insomnia. You know, I, I mean, you know, I wake up in the middle of the night at one o'clock in the morning. I can't get back to sleep. I was, but so I, I, I mentioned all that because yesterday, you know, I'm, I'm thinking I'm listening to all the things you're saying. And yesterday or this morning, I said to Christina, I said, hey, look, I, I, I can't have back to back big idea days because I spent the day with Jared and a couple uh, of buddies yesterday afternoon after the panel. And we talked about, I mean, we talked about all kinds of things, a transition program we're looking at, a business that Jared and I are building, the podcast, the nonprofit I'm working on, you know, we, all this stuff. We, 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 I mean, we had a shitload of ideas. And then, and then I went to dinner um, with Justin Litko and the guys he's working for now, and we were, t- and then started talking about a bunch, of, you know, started talking about some of the other nonprofit, and it was just idea, idea, idea. So I came home, and I mean, and I mean, I'm energized. That's what I love doing. I feel, um, I tell people all the time, I am happily overwhelmed by purpose. And then I go to bed last night. I strap on the machine. I re- and and man, I wake up at one o'clock in the morning, one thirty in the morning, and I could not fall back to sleep. I just couldn't. I was awake. I was awake. Okay. You know, and it's so, ideas, 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 ideas firing around in my head. You know, and it and it's like on the one hand, I'm like I'm overwhelmed by purpose and I love it, and then I'm like God, I wish I could get some sleep. You know. So, so think about that, right? <laughs> what you just said. You're you're hyper aroused, right? Hyper vigilant. So. Your mind's going a million miles an hour. You're not shutting things down. You're hyper in tune to all those ideas that you had all day, right? Sleep is where you're supposed to process all those things. When you go to sleep, your brain works through all those things from your prior days, years since birth, right? That's where you problem solve and put things in filing cabinets. For us, our filing cabinets overflow. We never process anything. It's just, it's like random. Imagine, you know, I'm trying to think of the movie. And not poltergeist, but one of them, but all these things flashing and all at once coming at you. And you're just like, 
which one do I deal with first, right? Putting out all those fires. And then, you know, we're struggling during the day to stay concentrated and focused and we're tired. We go to bed and it's like a million miles an hour. That's anxiety. Anxiety by definition, you're in an anxious aroused state, right? Your nervous system's hyper in tuned to everything in your environment. And your environment is what you talked about. Problem solving, task organization, ideas, all those things. Uh, one thing that always helped me is I, I can swear to God I could cure cancer and AIDS, you know, before I went to bed, I'd be sleeping and I'd be like going through all these things, how to solve all these world problems. I was like, holy crap. You know, I was like, I just start writing things down. And like if I had a great idea that I thought was going to be the next, you know, sliced bread, I would just start writing it down. And then the next day I woke up, if I was still energized about it, I'd pursue it. But I learned to prioritize my ideas and what my efforts were going to be, right? And for me, I was like, all right, I know what for me doing all the health stuff, I had to define the problem, right? So get the education awareness out there. How do I do that? And then I would go through that course of action, my operational approach. And then from there, okay, what are the solutions and how do I implement them, right? And so I tried to do everything by myself. That's horrible, right? And that's where building a team comes in is getting the subject matter experts and the people to facilitate that, your enablers, right? And I'm like, what do we do as Green Berets all the time? We want to do everything, take on the whole load by ourselves. Like, and we'll willingly do it. We're glad to take it all, right? But at some point, some point in time, we have to dish that out. That was one of my hardest uh, parts from going a junior enlisted guy to a senior enlisted guy uh, in, you know, operations sergeant is learning how to take your hands out of things, right? And trust the process, right? And trust the people in those positions to, you know, take on those responsibilities and get them. So think about that, right? What you do as a leader and trusting those things, take all those responsibilities and functions in your life and delegate them out and organize them and prioritize them and let some other people in your team and your network try to chunk those away and just be kind of like the executive guy, right? Like I had this idea, you're my team, let's execute. And yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm generally really good at that kind of, you know, at that, at that kind of thing. And to be able to delegate that, I have a tremendous amount of trust in people. You know, I'm willing to accept risk with other people's performance, all those kind of things. But the brutal irony of it is, is that yesterday, especially everything that we were firing off about was ideas to help other people. And that is like, you know, and that has this, you, you know, it's, it's, and that's, that's why, you know, I, I always go back. Yep. Yeah. I always go back to. You know, is it possible to have that individual who is supremely dedicated to mission accomplishment, to enabling the success of others, who is going to be able to be healthy for, you know, his at the end of it? Yeah. Um, I, I just don't I, I don't know. Like I say, I'm, I'm OK. You know what I mean? I, I got aches and pains and I don't sleep so well all the time. And But I'm not you know, I don't you know, I have healthy relationships and good friendships and a loving family. I think one of the things that I always encourage guys to do that I was always able to do is decouple from my identity as a soldier. That wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't intrinsic to who I was. Because um, I'm the same way. I could care less. Right. And, and, and I, and I tell guys the importance of that, although I've thought a lot about it, Jeff, and I, and I realize, look, I understand why people become inexorably tied to that identity because at some point life and death depended on it. You had to be all in because your life and other people's lives depended on it. Right. So I get it. I understand how they might. Um, but, it, you know, we talk a lot about, especially in the, you know, the Janus program about decoupling from that identity. But at that point, you know, it's it's pretty far down the road. Some guys it's impossible to do. So well, talking about the identity, Jared, is 
Paul, what do you do on your off time to decompress and unplug? What, like sports related or hobbies? What, where's your work-life balance to, where's your brake pedal, right? Where's your, take your mind off work and all those ideas. Where do you focus down and in is doing like surfing, mountain biking, fishing, kayaking, or any of that? Yeah. Do you have so any of that? I would say the, the gift that I have been given is that my wife never gave a shit about who I was in the army. So she <laughs> kept me grounded. I am literally, I am not making this up literally within the, I am a Lieutenant special forces, Lieutenant Colonel. I have commanded at almost every level, you know, you know, been in charge of getting a task force into Syria, nine miles from ISIS front line, on and on and on and on. I think literally like a year ago, she told somebody I was a major. Now that might not be, <laughs> she, doesn't, she just doesn't know. And her, and her argument is always, listen, she's like, you should be happy that I don't give a shit about who you are in the army. She's like, I love you for you. So I've always had that, that gift of that person who keeps me completely grounded and completely separate from that. And then all of the stuff we do, I'm completely invested in my wife and my two kids, right? And, and seeing them succeed and doing the hard work required to help them succeed. Um, and then, of course, you know, all, all the regular stuff. I love to ride my bike. We spent a lot of time. We just got, you know, we just got a, we were lucky enough that, you know, we had the wherewithal to get a little house um, down in Wilmington. Um, and we kind of looked at each other one day and we were like, what the hell are we waiting for? You know what I mean? And so we spent a lot of time down there and, you know, I, I have those avenues and of course I build, I build, I build, I build. I'm always, you know, um, woodworking. I pass that on to my son. I like to tinker in the house. I like to fix things. You know, I went over and helped Jared got an office, uh, he's building in his backyard in a, in a, in a shed and went over there and I did all the drywall. I love doing, I mean, I was wasted at the end of that it's been more than he, a three-day weekend ass. yeah yeah i was amazed I, he kept going as yeah. long as he did I was like he's so gonna die on the way home did you sleep good did you sleep good after that day oh of course you know you sleep you sleep like a baby right when you when you're able to do good physical meaningful work and but yesterday was really meaningful it was really good i'm really excited about what we're going to be able to do for other people but it just has a different but that's the, but that, yeah. that's the difference right i know for myself and jeff I'm sure this is the same for you as well, is that I can go and go and go mentally. Here's where, it, but if I don't get out and do something to, to it's the way I've, I've described it before is there's a extra fuel, like you got to burn off that extra exhaust. And if you don't do it physically, then you're just like, well, it's easier for me to burn off that exhaust by drinking four or five beers. That's, so yes. And that's, and that's been a problem for me is like, you know, yeah. even like the irony of, well, I switched to locale. Well, then I just double my intake. And it's like, what's, that's not doing anything. I was like, you know, but again, it's like in the, in the worst part is that I, that I mentally, I, you know, I know those things. And so what, what I was going to circle back on, and then Jeff definitely come back around on that too, because I mean, yeah. habit formation and identity and systems and all that is really important. Yeah. Um, but one thing when Paul was sharing about, you know, yesterday and the ideas and all of those things going and then popping up at one o'clock in the morning and just being like, man, I think, and I'm going to try and piece this together, but. I think the other part of this to look at is our perception of time. So if we don't address context and our perception of time, well, then it all gets lumped together in the same way. So, and again, you know, if like Paul has all these ideas that are going on, um, I get excited about this too. Same kind of stuff happens. I mean, have all these things happening. Our immediate thought is, okay, how do we synthesize this down into the most actionable things right now so that we can get, so we can get this thing in motion. And when, when there's so many things out there and you can't do it, 
it, that's number one. It's going to be the thing in the back of your head. This stuff is really important. Where I think we lose track of or our perception of time needs to be called into question or we need to, to give more weight to it is if we don't realize that these things don't need to be solved tomorrow or right. yesterday, then we, we have to be able to, to put them in the right frame and say, yeah. the right ideas will come to fruition because it's no longer a question of whether or not you can execute because I think that's the other problem. I know for myself, working for myself, nobody's ever paid me to get out of bed ever in my entire professional career. It's a hunt, yeah. kill, and eat. It's like my family doesn't eat. I don't eat if I'm not out there doing it, yep. right? So I have a, a different kind of mentality, which is I will have excuses for days why I work seven days a week. It's the same thing, and then I run and burn out and hit a wall and all that. I'll pop yep. up because I have to have that perspective of, of time or that perception of time saying, this doesn't need to be solved right now. Instead, I have to put it into a different framework like, not something I have to do, but I get to do all of these things. Some of them may not happen, but it's like I have to let myself know it's okay. Funny, it's funny you say that. I had a team star who used to tell me all the time, don't confuse activity with productivity, oh, right? Yeah, that's absolutely right. So, so time is my most valuable resource besides my family, right? And after making it through everything I've made through my entire life, I don't want to waste any time, right? I don't want to waste any of my life. I, every day is a gift for me. So um, being able to prioritize, you know, what's your end state, what's your goal? And then how do I accomplish that mission? Right. What do I, how I want to get this done, make it fun and enjoyable. Cause we're addicted to this. We love helping people. Right. But have a way that it's not going to put us one foot in the grave by doing it all the time, and not be able to shut it off. So for me, when I retire, I want to go into doing all these type of outdoor events when helping people. So putting those two things together, right. Being able to teach people all these things while doing stuff that's healthy for them and getting them to unplug from their problems in life. When, you, when you're doing, whether it be in a car doing 100 miles an hour, I know it's illegal, or on a mountain bike doing 40 miles an hour down a mountain, you're hyper-focused on right there. That You're living in that moment. And everything else in the world that's going on is completely gone. And that's something we have strayed away from as a society, right? And we have to teach people how to meditate to get back to the now. Being self-aware of we're always focused on everything but ourselves or the, the, the present moment. And I think if we can identify that and get back to here, then it makes all the other things way much more simple and, and dealing with those and be, you know, being aware that, Hey, my mind's going a million miles an hour. I need to shut this down or, Hey, I need to write those things down. I'll, I'll, I'll think through them tomorrow, but I need to get my rest. And, and that's where that comes in. That's that self-awareness and being able to identify all those things. And then, you know, the check engine lights and then be able to have solutions for all those things. But um, I mean, while I'm here alive, I'm, I'm going to do everything I can to help people and to enjoy my life and have fun doing it. But I don't want to make that the cause of my death. <laughs> so, you know, I want to I want to enjoy everything while I'm doing it. So what do you think you, you mentioned something that we haven't really touched on um, in previous episodes in our in our discussions, although we've talked a lot about, you know, um, the crisis of health that preceded the, you know, the, the virus. Um, but we really haven't talked about sort of the exponential effect that anxiety is having on uh, on the impact of the virus. In other words, making it more lethal. So it's like this. Now you kind of have have made me consider the fact that we're in this vicious cycle that where people are being made more and more anxious, that's actually just making it worse 100%. and worse. Okay. So I'm not a conspiracy guy, right? But I'm a common sense guy. And I used to be an SF guy in the battlefield. And I did a lot of stuff with information operations, right? 
And if you look at, if, if I was a bad guy, I wanted to create a weapon that had the most destructive power in the world. Uh, look at how this virus works, right? It's easily transmissible. And everything you love doing as a human makes it worse. Socializing, speaking with each other, having sex, eating, going to restaurants, social sports events, all these things that you make. I'd rather just get this damn disease and die than being stuck in my house. And then you go, what are you attached to when you're in your house and socially isolated? This little thing right here and the TV, right? And what is this thing in that TV constantly pushing in your face 24 seven? Fear, anxiety, uncertainty, right? Yep. Just by that nature of being afraid, what does that do to immune function? Oh, it breaks it down. It puts, it kicks your so, adrenaline glands so, like through so the roof. It yeah. puts you in a sympathetic state, which at chronic stress or sympathetic activation, when you're in sympathetic uh, state, it, it it suppresses immune function. So think about that, right? Chronically uh, suppressed immune system equals the shield being down and more predisposed to getting a disease, right? And so we're talking about America, two-thirds obese and overweight because of stress, anxiety, sleep problems, horrible lifestyle, diet, nutrition, all those things. And then you introduce something into that system that thrives on that vulnerability and exploits it at every form and shape and way, right? Think about it. Like you walk out of your house now, you're like, oh, this thing's going to kill me, right? So people, you know, wear my mask while I'm driving. Think about that for a second. Wearing your mask while you're by yourself in the woods. That takes a massive amount of fear to get you to that state of mind that the most fresh air in the world is what you want to be breathing and you're afraid of it. That that's is right. when you're, that's, Fear equals control. And if you can look at who's being controlled by the actions they are doing, right? And that's highly effective when you want to influence, persuade, or change people. That's one of the best ways you can do it. So think about it. So number one, um, <laughs> I, I want to build on top of that too. Uh, but think about the way we're hardwired here. Like I know the three of us are hardwired the same way. That's why we connect so well. Um, when information comes in, our natural unconscious responses that requires an action. Not everybody's that way. So I think it can be extra frustrating because I love taking in information, connecting dots, making sense of certain things, but I'm also really prone to, um, I don't know, I get information coming in and then I'm like, okay, well that requires an action. And then the next immediate response is, but there is no action to take. So then it just becomes more of an annoyance. And then I go, yes. why did I even look at that? And I know, yep. where, and again, it goes back to what we were talking about earlier as a young racer. Uh, it wasn't until I was much older where I was starting to realize, oh, my brain thinks I'm in my 20s. My body's telling me I'm wrong, you know, because I can't go day to day to day, you know, like I used to be able to do. But we can intellectually understand what's happening. Yeah. But then there's then there's our response and our choice, which is, yeah, I know what's going on. I know this isn't good for me, but I'm going to do it anyway. Mm -hmm. I, my wife tells me I'm oppositional defiant, which is why I've never worked for anybody. She was a social worker. She gets to diagnose these kinds of things. <laughs> I disagree with her completely. Uh, you know, I look at this sometimes as I'm opposition, oppositionally defiant against myself because I mm -hmm. know, but then I'm like, oh, well, I don't care. It's like, I'm not going to do what you say. And I'm talking to myself and then I'm just psychotic. Yeah. So, so all that said is that, uh, this uh, also this idea of, of, uh, of a weapon you know, it was like a conspiracy theory. Paul, you and I talked about this early on in one of our early episodes. And it was the one I remember your response was like, well, thanks, Jared. That went dark real fast. <laughs> <laughs> 
So in my line of work, right, what I've been trained for, strategic foresight as a futurist, connecting dots, looking at how the world may unfold based on what we see here today, and then being able to create a future story or a landscape, a context. Uh, what I've been seeing over the past, gosh, since really 2007, 2008, is, is really just like a it's, a, it's a page out of, and again, with that, and I and I would say this if I wasn't on a call with two uh, two SF guys, uh, not you know, but the way I would describe it to folks is what's been going on in our country for some time now is it's psychological operations 101. This is exactly how our foreign policy has been operating for decades. If you want to uh, to overthrow a country, if you want to create uh, chaos and confusion in the system then you cast doubt on the system and you divide. So the whole divide and conquer, right? That's a real thing because of a real situation is that if you can get the population divided in such a way, if the incentive structures are set up in such a way where people are, you know, like the corporate media and whatnot, all of these things working together and you create such doubt and confusion, um, it's going to force you to live in that state of fear and so if you're going to live in that state of fear, you want to make sure you're the most well-informed person so that you can react faster. So what are you going to do? You're going to reach for that information device in your pocket. You're going to, you have justified, you've bought into the narrative that you need to stay plugged in all day, every day, no matter what you think or know, we can all sit here and say, we know we shouldn't. And yet it's so easy to say, well, I'll just check in because I'm smarter. <laughs> I know I shouldn't. I know what's going on. So I can check in. I'm immune from this. And it's bullshit. No, we're not. No, we're not. You know, and nope. so I'm not saying there is a conspiracy because, number right. one, I do tell people a lot of times that when they look at these conspiracies, they're usually looking at scenario plans, some of which right. friends and colleagues of mine I know have been writing on or like the Rand Corporation or whatnot. And they go, see, this is their wild plan. I'm like, no, no, no. That's just a scenario plan. And you're also giving way too much credit to the government. They're not yeah. that smart and organized. So that's why I used to tell all my friends. I was like, everyone talks about 9/11 being an inside job. I was like, if you only knew, if you could plan and execute something that good with nobody finding out and that smooth, I want to work with that person. But <laughs> we laugh at it because you know what I'm saying. Like, well, but it, yeah, somebody but was, always talks. Always talks. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. I mean, somebody's always gonna, yeah. That anybody who. Yeah, I, I love listening to um, conspiracy theorists because of the credit that they give to the system. Oh, it's that amazing. is laughable. It's like, I don't understand how you can have firsthand experience at the DMV and think that <laughs> same structure could pull off contrails that nobody knows. I'm like, I don't, how do you connect those dots, yeah, man? So have you ever met anybody high up or that works? It's been like a lifer in any government, whether it's the FBI, the security apparatus, whatnot. It's like, those are some of the most protective people. Like, oh, I'm not going to share any information. Like, it's so clannish in a number of ways. Like, they're not working together, sadly. No, not even that. I'll, I'll, just real world examples. Like, we know people that were on the ground when these things flew into the Pentagon that were there pulling body parts and luggage and stuff out. That was a missile, right? Like I know a guy that was there that was served with us, Paul, that was in the Pentagon that day when that happened. But people be like, oh no, it was a missile that hit. Well, I'm pretty sure missiles don't come with seats and seat belts and luggage attached to them, right? But, you know, it, it's, I can understand why there's conspiracies on it because of the lack of trust in government transparency. Um, you know, think about everything that's going on right now. The country is mm -hmm. polarized, split down the middle, no one knows what to trust. And think of righteous indignation. You got 
one side over here is 100% convinced they're right, and then the other side over here, 100% convinced they're right. So, okay, who's right? What's the truth, right? Yeah. And then you have all these people in the middle that are being, you got two small minority groups, this is like straight unconventional warfare 101, that are controlling the narrative, right? That are going to be pitted against each other to screw the majority of people in this country by taking our rights away from us, right? Mm -hmm. We're going to talk about some. We know the game, but this is, if you're a real SF guy, you understand how these things work, that this is by design, right? And I don't know who's controlling this narrative or, you know, I'm not even going to get into that realm, but if you understand the game and you understand the plays in the game, then it's clear as day where you can see what's happening with people being pitted against each other. But I mean, what are the intentions behind any of it? None of us know. I, I'm not that guy, well, but it's frustrating watching it all happen because you can see family members and neighbors turn on each other. And then at the end of the day, if you talk to these people face to face and take away the media and social media and keyboards and platforms, everyone wants the same thing, right? They, they yeah, want pretty yeah. much the same things. Who, who that's, doesn't? That's the key. That? Right. The key, and we talk about this all the time, Jeff. The key is that all of the things that you're describing are disproportionately magnified through our information ecosystem. Whether you want to call it social media, the media, however you want to call it, I lump it into a giant ball of fuck called the information <laughs> ecosystem, right? Yeah. And so it's disproportionately magnified. So when someone tells me, but you know, they, they complain about the state of the world. And I always get, I always ask them the same basic kind of questions, which try to get to the heart of, well, what's your world like right now? Yeah. So did you go to the grocery store today? Oh, you went to the grocery store. Did, was there flaming cars on the side <laughs> of the road? No, you just drove to work. And, and Unless you live in Portland. Six, yeah. Yeah. But even, Seattle, no, but, but even Jamie said, even Jamie said, so we got a buddy who lives in Portland. He was a guest on this show, talked about how, you know, when everything was in flames, he was like, eh, I felt nervous like one time, but, but, and, and my, and my classic example of people who listen to the show or to be like, all right, we've heard this a thousand times, shut up, but I'll share it with you. Cause it's good. It's the mailbox example. If I showed you every day on your device through media, someone smashing a mailbox and every day it was a new person. So I'm showing you for a year, I show you 365 different people smashing mailboxes. It wouldn't even take a year. Probably in a couple of months, you'd be like, oh, my God, we have this horrible epidemic of mailbox smashing lunatics. But then I'd be like, well, go out in your neighborhood. Is that happening in your neighborhood? You're like, well, no, I haven't seen any here. And because that, that's 365 people out of 350 million. It's just it's just the way that these things are amplified. And the reality that matters is the reality of your own world, like going out and actually interact. And, and like you said before, you know, we're, we've, we've taken so much of that away. All the things that matter to us as humans, all that interaction. Um, I think people, you know, so, so in the spirit of this show and our, and our ethos, we are hopeful that what people are realizing is how important that shit is. It's not that they're going to become all become hermits and they're going to, you know, crawl into the house and never come out when that veil is finally lifted, when that blanket of, you know, when that blanket comes off of them and there's a light at the end of the COVID tunnel, they're going to be like, I'm going to go out and hug my neighbor. I'm going to go out. And I'm going to be among people. They're going to truly appreciate how important that is. I, I hope. I mean, that's our genuine hope. I think that's what will happen. Absolutely. I'm, I'm glad you said that. So talk, go back to mountain biking and outdoor activities, right? There's like a mountain bike shortage crisis in the world right now because everybody's outside mountain biking, kayaks, water sports, 
everything sold out, like when you're trying to get these things right, because people were forced to not go to work and be out and doing all these things they normally do to, hey, the only safe place I can go is outdoors away from people right now, right? And what did a lot of these people realize when they did that? Holy God, what was I doing before? I don't want to go back to that office and work. And I'm going to work from home, start my own business, whatever it was. If I can do this from Zoom and still live my life and enjoy my family, this changed. There's no going back to normal after this pandemic, right? For the majority of Americans who saw through the veil of the fear of this virus, and they understood that a healthy lifestyle and environment is your best bet at surviving all of this, they're going to embrace that and continue it after this thing's over, right? We can hope. I know I'm never going back to doing things I was doing before, but people saw a better way of life being outdoors with their family and doing things they love together, right? Not fighting each other through keyboards on Facebook or whatever. The majority of people I see fighting on Facebook are people with anxiety, anger issues, depression issues, social isolation, that even before the pandemic, they were stuck to those things, right? And then that pandemic happened it magnified it by like 100, that all of a sudden, all those fears and anxieties, it just came crushing down. And that all they had, right? Because they were forced to be there. They didn't have a way out of that. And so that's what I saw a lot of it. it it's You'll see it, man. If, if I go through when I'm bored sometimes and I'm like, man, should I say that? And I'm like, no, all right, just walk away. Because you know, right? It's like so tempting to be like, you know. Um, you got to be. I know you're in SF Brotherhood, right? Uh, that, that, I, not the S. I was the unfiltered one. I go in once in a while just for funny things. But oh my God. I've seen some of the comments. And like I said, I was like, dude, I got I catch myself. I'm like, nope, I got better shit to do in my life than even hop into that. But, you know, sometimes you see things that are so blatantly false or just so off you you just have to hey bud you might want to relook at that you know what i'm saying or but but you but here's the thing but you don't have to there's no point yeah. you'll never ever ever Change. ever make a difference in that person's opinion no that doesn't matter it's a, nope. you've you've completely wasted your time effort yes. mental energy psychology all of it because i do this every once in a while i'll be like i'll be like no why would i do that why do <laughs> that don't do that nobody cares nobody listens you're just gonna feed into it and you're and that's it's drawing you and it's pretty yes. miraculous how it draws you in sometimes sucks it it, yeah, I did it, it I, really I is but that's by design yeah. but i had fun oh. with it because it, i i'll just say i aso'd somebody and just it's like, oh, can I do this? And it, it happened. I was like, all right, I guess I'm d- deleting all this stuff. I'm walking away. But in my back of my mind, I'm laughing. I'm like, well, you know, now I see why so many people, you know, that that goes back to your ego and, you know, your, your what's the word, valid, being validated or whatever it is. And you have to catch your ego. You have to check it at the door. I'm like, all right, dude, stop, you know, walk away. You understand how stupid you're being internally and feeding into that. You're like, I'm part of the problem. So that is funny. We, we say it because we all do it. You know, being an SF dude, you know, everyone's always right in SF. Right. But you have to just shut it off. Like I've, I've been way happier in life. I know when I'm in a bad place in my life, when I start getting sucked into those things, that's, like my, <laughs> that, that's my gauge of my mental uh, health. If I start getting tied into social media like stuff. And I'm going into it. I'm like, okay, you know, it's either crisis mode, something happened in the world, and I try to keep my family members or friends informed on some, or I'm just have to unload on somebody on a keyboard. I'm like, all right, that's bad. That's, you know, that's trash. It's garbage. I've identified that now, and I'll admit, you know, I from sometimes I slip every once in a while. I'll get into that, but 
it, it's just funny seeing it. You know what I mean? Because you're you're aware of it, and you're like, okay, I'm going to be that guy right now, the the ultimate troll. You know what I'm saying? Level sixteen. And but I've I've had to catch myself and just walk, just say no, just walk I'll away. You, right? I'll tell you where I where I get sucked in is uh, is not so much social media anymore, it's but it's YouTube, and it's always you know because they because <laughs> oh, they've man, got me, me they've got me pegged. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm like, oh, another recipe for uh, down the rabbit wings, You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm like, and it's always mundane bullshit. It's not anything. It's not anything provocative, or you know what I mean? But it's still it's it like it can it manages to waste my time. I'm like, okay, yeah. Think I, of, think about what you just said right there, right? Let's let's go back this. We're talking about we'll we'll talk about you know how things are developed in AI, right? Oh, if yeah. we if we think any of that's I mean, hey Siri, all right, we're talking about people worried about getting tracking for vaccines. This thing tracks every second of your life and your biology. You know what I'm saying? Like everything we say are we're being listened to. Yeah. And, we and talked don't about think this in for the a last... moment. Yeah. Yeah. When you're all of a sudden on your ads, all of a sudden those things you talked about pop up in that's your 100% ads. That's 100% right. Yep. Yes. Yeah. We so, talked about this on the last show because the guy's yeah. like, I don't know if that's happening. I said, no, it's absolutely no, happening. Oh, Here's the way to test it. Start talking yeah. about, oh, don't search, candy. just start talking about something yep. that is completely yeah. off the wall and watch it what happens. starts to happen. It does. Yeah. So, now, I will it, say this. It knows you. And the military uses this, not directly, but if you look back from when the social media was created and you look at all the, the companies that were involved of developing and funding this technology, going from DARPA to social media with these things, right? It, one of them was LifeLog, if I remember correctly. But they were literally designed as collection tools. But we all know that the agency can't collect on American citizens, right? But guess who can? Private corporations. And then if you need that information because of security reasons, national security, they can get that information, right? Yeah. So think about that. With today's events, what happened with YouTube, what happened with Twitter, what happened with Facebook, what is the parlor, right? Parlor was like the easiest one to crack and get everything. Where did all those agencies go to get all this information? They literally went to social media, the biggest collection tool in the world, and took all that information and put people in cages. Like that happened, right? So you're talking about predictive analysis, artificial intelligence. The goal of AI is to predict Right. So you're talking about it knows you, your computer that you've been using has built algorithms based on what your interests and likes, your reactions, every emoji you use. We'll go to the social credit system in China for a second. But that's how they designed it. Right. Is that it knows everything you like. It probably knows you better than you. Did you know that there are people I was listening to an interview once. I'm not surprised about this at all. But people that work in national security and and various you know, three-letter agencies that they at least deal inside of, of this world here, they will intentionally, they will set aside time and intentionally start searching things that they are not interested in to throw the algorithm off. And that's, and I love that we're talking about this because as you can tell, I, it's like talking to a second grader. Most times I'm on these podcasts with Paul, unless we have a guest. So I'm really <laughs> excited we get to dive into some deeper, more yeah. heavy shit that's more in my realm, you know. We'll uh, take the crayons out after. Yeah, yeah, let's definitely, no, no, leave the crayons. He'll start losing it if you take those away. So, you know, (laughs) but, but, but that's, there is that fine line, right. Of, um, of understanding artificial intelligence and its intent. There's always the fear of like, oh God, AI is going to take over our jobs. Maybe one day. But what people don't realize is that AI and big data, for example, those two are, are one doesn't work without the other. And you have to say, what's that source of origination? Well, the source of origination is going to be the programmer. It's going to be the input. It's the human. AI only operates 
based on human data. Now, that's the big thing. We as human beings are dumping data at exponential rates every single day by being on these devices. So you see how that entire system works. And then that data is being used and trying to be, you know, AI is getting way better. The algorithm is getting better as it's trying to construct these digital profiles of who you are, what you like, and then to, like you said, it's to predict or anticipate what it is that you will want or need down the road. I do think we're a long way off before it really hits the mark. So we have to always remember that AI is, there's some smart elements to it, but a lot of it's still pretty stupid. Hey, I'll say just in my short lifetime, I'm 44, right? Like all the stuff we saw in movies is happening now, right? Yeah. Like talking, like what we're doing right now, talking to each other with a computer. In the 1980s, that was like future vision, right? Like Back Star to the Trek future type stuff. too. Yeah, actually, yeah. You know what I'm saying? So we're actually this is all happening now. We're talking about this Skynet, Terminator, right? You know what I'm right. saying? AI and all these computers. We're living it. It's happening right now. And information age, we've in a short period of time, go back to the the creation of mankind in the last hundred years, we have outpaced everything yep. at, at maximum. You look at the curve of population and learning and invention and innovation. It's a massive spike right now. It's like hyper accelerated. So yep. I think I never thought I would see half these things happen in my lifetime, but we are. We're in that accelerated age. Well, and the crazy thing is that our brains have not evolved. Biologically, we're still the same way that we were yes. when we were hanging out in caves. And, and, that's, yeah. and that's where the rub is, right? That, well, that, thanks to the allostatic load, absolutely. Talking about chronic stress and task saturation, we went from you know chucking spears, making fires, gutting deer to – being attached to 6 million things at once and everything coming in, we're not evolved for that yet. Yeah. And going back to environmental exposures, there's over 80,000 man-made chemicals in the environment, right? <laughs> Think about that. We're bioengineering ourselves with pollution. Like we're the experiment and how we're reacting to all these things. We're seeing it now, right? All the metabolic dysfunction and think about developmental, like let's say autism, for example, right? Look at the autism curve. In the last 20 years, all right, you think that's environmental, right? You think that's because of the things we're stressing this body out and doing to it? Absolutely, right? And it goes into that being task-saturated, overwhelmed, information overload. We're just not adapted yet. It, it's happening. We're seeing it in the, the generations coming up with the technology these kids are using, how they're learning, right? Forgetting about cursive writing or changing a tire. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like all, all this caveman stuff that we grew up with is being phased out by well, technology. And, and the medications as well are part, we've been, we're already in control of our own DNA. Yeah. We were talking about this, Paul and I, and the guys that we were with yeah. yesterday is that for me, at least I have zero interest in taking one of these two vaccines because it's a genetic modify. It's a modifier, right? RNA. Exactly. RNA. Like to me, it's like, this is number one, yeah. I mean, the technology has been around for some time. It's been tested in various, but not on human beings. A nine-month rollout testing on human beings is like, this is not a long enough trial. I'll take the one that's got a traditional path from AstraZeneca. I said, but people yeah. who are so anxious to take an RNA vaccine, I was like, this is fucking nuts. Like, DNA is just the information. The Ex RNA is the programming. Exactly. That's the messaging. And, and so, that, yeah. my flag raised when I saw that. I was oh, like, me too, hey, I embrace this type of editing. stuff. I'm all about some gene editing. Please give it to me when I need it. Yeah. I'm going to let this one develop and see some long-term stuff before I start editing my own stuff. And I was like, were, I understood uh, it. They were talking yesterday about how airlines might be um, adopting an app that 
validates your oh, either vaccination or negative yeah. test. I mean, negative test, okay, fine. You know what I mean? But I don't see, I, I don't think they'll be able to pull that off. I don't think you'll be able to compel people to get a vaccine and use commercial leverage like you can't fly without it. And I don't think that'll, I don't think that will work. We've, we've done it in the past though. I mean, with passports. Gun you ownership. Can't yeah, you've got to have well, gun ownership as well. Registration uh, on vehicles. You can't get a registration unless you have an inspection. Yeah, I mean, that, I would say that the... Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I suppose. I mean, I suppose it's analogous in some so, way. Yeah, I suppose. Uh, uh, think of the, uh, if you're a convicted felon, you can't vote. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, control measures. Think all those control measures. We Every time we get 10 new ones, we never get rid of three old ones. They just keep stacking up. And so we're already talking about throwing in new ones yes. after the Capitol yes. riots. It's like yeah. that, that security apparatus is like, well, we need yeah. to pass new laws like Homeland Security 2.0 for domestic terrorists. Like, no, you fucking don't. I was like, you so, already plenty of laws for this. You overreach so, already. Right. Oh, so yeah. they're, they wanted, they're talking about using Facebook to scrub your activity on Facebook to bait. Think of that social credit system yep. China yep. used, right? Oh, you're a threat because you're you're on the scale of left and right you're too far right to be a to be in the security detail yep. they literally did it right so they did a social media scrub on people and used algorithms based on their posts to see if they were a threat to being in the security system right so you don't think they'll do it with a, a vaccine who's been vaccinated we already did it at work right so we have the covax tracker right so they've already got tracking systems with covid to see you can't deploy because you know you're tier one. You can't go into that country without a vaccine. So it's going to come to us. Hey, we're not going to tell you you can't fly, but you're not going to fly in this airline unless you've had a vaccine. And I see it getting rolled out that way. Oh, you can't go to Disneyland because you're not vaccinated. You can't go to school because you don't have. They already do that with schools, by the way. You can't go to school. Yeah, but I mean, I, yeah. So that's kind of true, right? I mean, you can't. Yeah. You know, you have to have certain immunizations to go to school. I mean, I, yeah. I suppose that's not unreasonable, right? <laughs> yeah. Now it's it's going to happen. Yeah. yeah. Now the the difference being that you know this vaccine isn't as proven as the right. vaccine for polio, for example. Unprecedented. Unpre yeah. Go back to polio. Everyone, do you know about polio? What it did to people when it first rolled out? Cancer, right? Do you guys understand? Oh, when the vaccine first rolled out. Did yeah. not know that. No. Go go look up just look up the history of polio vaccine and cancer, and you'll be shocked. And we're talking about. I'm not even going to get down that rabbit hole right now, but there were certain things that were developed on our population and in the military. Tuskegee experiment, okay, mm -hmm. uh, euthanization in North Carolina, right? So we're we're talking about things. I I know my history, right? And I don't have that much trust into something that was rushed through development, right? And then bypassed all these checks for efficacy and ethnic concerns and long-term effects. Yep. Like, I mean, if I have to do it, I mean, I'm 44, I've lived out my good years, but I'm not going to volunteer myself for an experiment if I don't have to. I would rather give my immune system a shot at this thing and see how it does. And then if I don't do well with it, maybe I'll look at a vaccine, but it's my choice, my body, right? Um, <laughs> the vaccine does not prevent you from getting COVID-19. Right. It reduces the reaction your body has to it when it happens by alerting your immune system to the protein that it needs to get from the spike protein into your cell from the actual virus itself, right? The RNA virus needs that switch to say, okay, come on in. Yeah. And all mm -hmm. we're doing is teaching the body to say, hey, that's bad. So it identifies it, right? Well, how do I know that that protein, which could be used for 
six million other purposes in the body, all of a sudden my immune system's triggering something that I need and it's attacking it. Mm-hmm. Right. So it, think about that, right? Yeah. What what do you does, I don't know. Does I'm, it, not a, I'm not a biochemist, but I know that I wouldn't put all my money on that one switch being identified being the only switch. If we're not letting people gene edit for cancer and metabolic reasons, we're gene editing for a virus. If it's, it's not crazy. safe for the other things, right? Then oh. how is it safe for this? We're in the same page, right? Yeah, 100%. So we're, we're gene editing is what we're doing here, right? And yeah. this is something that we've been told that we're not ready for this yet. And we literally just did it. And now we're trying to force people to do it and say, trust the system, trust the scientists. <laughs> so, so think about that, right? So I, I see it this big picture because I'm all about doing some awesome, you know, precision medicine stuff. Oh, yeah. But if you're telling me it's not good enough to do all these other things to improve my quality of life, but it's good enough to keep me for something that my immune system has a 99% chance of beating on its own. What the hell did do that risk assessment say, give it to me. You know what I'm saying? Oh, I'm yeah. doing the math in my head that I have a 99% chance of beating this thing yeah. without putting anything in my body. But I don't know what type of risk that percentage is for that vaccine. Think about the Spanish flu. Yeah. The Spanish flu. The the population that it just devastated were young, healthy people. And there's been some interesting theories about why the Spanish flu, why people who were in their 60s and older, they it didn't bother them that much at all. And it was because they had gone through something similar when they were younger. Earlier. Yep. So their body had built up. It's like, okay, we got this. So young the, people didn't build that resiliency. No, that's right. And and that's something that has to happen through stress. Now, if you're putting in, yeah. a, and again, I'm not. You know, I, I'm not I, wait, gen- let's freeze this right now, okay? Because you just, all right, light bulb just went off, right? What do we see right now with this virus that it doesn't affect young people, right? Yeah. What are young people more predisposed and better at doing than older people? Controlling inflammatory response. Yep. Older people are infestated with chronic inflammation, right? Heart disease, we're talking about all the risk factors, right? The comorbidities for making yourself vulnerable for coronavirus are all metabolic and inflammation related. And what does coronavirus cause? Cytokine storm, overreaction of the immune system Mm -hmm. for an over-inflammatory response. Young kids, I I don't have arthritis. I don't have those things. But the kids that do probably have some type of autoimmune condition, right, Mm -hmm. that they're reacting to peanuts, that coronavirus would probably hammer them down, right? Think about the common sense with that for a second. You just trigger me on that because it's something I was thinking about. Why aren't the young people? Oh, and I'm like, their immune systems, they're not chronically inflamed yet. Whereas people over 40 in this country, it's guaranteed. Yeah. Chronic inflammation is the driver of chronic illness. And that's you, what we're talking just, about. Listen, as okay. the oldest guy on this episode, <laughs> you're just a rabid ageist. That's your problem, Guardian. <laughs> I, I think that's I think that's what we're seeing here. I think you're showing us our true colors. <laughs> inflammaging, right? That's, that's yeah, what they yeah. call aging. Inflammaging. So well, there's the on aging. There's the you know just not to take it in a different direction here, but there is the reality of a biological age. Just like I was noticing, I've been yeah. noticing more and more. I'm meeting. These guys cellular, looking at a cell, you can tell cellular age on a person and it's reversible. It yes. is reversible. That's the telomere lengthening. Yes, definitely. Which, you know, I imagine a lot of soft guys, you know, at 20 years in these guys getting out that are, you know, 40, 41 years old, looking like they're 60. Yeah. Like, I bet they would appreciate a little bit of that. 
reverse. That's, well, isn't that isn't that what they're discovering about um, about TBI that it has a lot to do with inflammatory processes in the brain? Sure. Neuroinflammation, absolutely. When there's yeah. inflammation in the brain, there's inflammation in the gut, vice versa. When there's inflammation in the gut, it causes inflammation in the brain. It, that's exactly what aging is. It's inflammaging. And when we're talking about cell life, right, and the cell's ability to repair and replicate apoptosis and destroy when it's damaged, right? When we see people start getting to the point where cancer is in effect, the cell can no longer repair and maintain itself and it can't destroy itself. So it replicates damage. That's cancer, right? Apoptosis gone bad. When inflammation, right, comes from oxidative stress, right? And how do you counter oxidative stress? With antioxidant activities, right? meditation, yoga, diet, nutrition, lifestyle intervention, you're reducing that oxidative stress. You're doing the repair at the cellular level, right? And then once you, if you can balance that, you can age gracefully, right? But when you're imbalanced and that inflammation and oxidative stress is unchecked, you rapidly age. We, that's where we call the, the term inflammation comes from. And we're talking, remember I was telling you that the soft operator, it's like dog ears, right? Hmm. Being with a full allostatic load full of oxidative stress and mitochondrial dysfunction and damage that we take that life, our life, and we significantly shorten it. And that's why we see things in thirties and forties that most people see in sixties and seventies. And that, that comes from that cellular health. And you can look at that in a microscope and see someone's cellular age by, and it, they do it now, right? With all the, you know, regenerative medicine clinics and all these places, they can look at mitochondrial function and cell health and tell you what your uh, your cellular age is, your 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 bioidentical age, right? From your cellular health, they can see it. And people with chronic inflammation, they're like they look seventy with that cellular health. Yeah. So yes, that's yeah. that's now. Like, we're Do you doing know, that now. You know, a great guy. That we, I, this would be an awesome conversation if we could have have him on here as well. Which I don't know is completely out of the question, but a guy named Aubrey DeGray. Do you know who he is? No. So he was one of the the guys early on. I say he's like a, you know, he's a genetic futurist. He's a biological futurist. He would never call himself that, but he was part of a group that started to redefine aging as a disease rather than inevitability. And to me, it's like the power of defining something differently changes the entire paradigm of the way that you approach it. Instead of like, well, you're going to get old and die one day. He was like, or because of that exact thing, it's chronic inflammation. If we start to approach and, 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 and hit it like it's a disease, then there's a cure, right? So it just starts to create a completely different shift in the way that you deal with that. Yeah. Which I think has has to have tremendous tremendous application to the community that you and Paul are from. Is that you know? And I'm really saying this because I care about Paul. Because, like I said, I'm really just glad he still made it through this podcast. You know, but it's uh, no you, Paul. You have aged gracefully. Paul, you've aged so Listen, gracefully. Number one, I've earned the right to age without grace. Number <laughs> two, like I don't want age to be cured. You know what I mean? Like, uh, believe me, there are still yeah. some days when I wake up and I was like, God, Jesus, thank God it's almost over. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like the idea that, you know, people are living into their 80s and 90s. I mean, I, I don't know, man. I, I, I think people's inability to grapple with their own mortality and the fact that we are a finite thing. Um, I don't know that that's solved by tacking on a few more years where, you know, Someone's going to have to wipe my ass for most of the time. I don't want you know that. Mean? Like, I, That's my biggest no. fear. I don't yeah. care yeah. about dying. I just don't want to be disabled, right? Yeah. I don't yeah. care. Death does not scare me. I'm, after I made it through everything, after having a child, your entire life changes, right? After you have a kid, your priority goes from all that fun stuff to 
My job is to raise this kid so they can become independent, right? Yeah. I got to get at least to that part where I can be fun and do activities with them and not be some crepit old guy. Like that's it. After there, then that responsibility is gone. Then it goes, I want to be able to do all the things I love doing. And when I stop and lose the ability to do those things I love, either find something else or, hey, man, I'm going skydiving without a parachute. Like I don't want to be stuck in a nursing home, right? I don't want someone wiping my butt. I don't want to be bedridden or chained to a friggin' machine. Hell to the no. Yeah. Like I want to ride it out, keep myself optimal, you know, and do all those things I can do. And as soon as I lose enjoyment and the ability to do those things, sign me out, man. Like, yeah. DX me. Like do I'm you, done. I don't care. Do you remember the first patrol you went on after you had a kid? Uh, yeah, actually I do. Yeah, I remember the, right? I remember the, I remember the patrol I went on that forced me to have a kid. <laughs> so, <laughs> so literally. Well, you yes, know, I, I mean, I don't, my, I don't have great memory of a lot of the stuff that we did, but man, I remember um, it was I was the uh, I was the HSC commander, right? Me and, and Willie, um, and uh, I remember that first. You know, Paul had been born. It was my first time back down range after Paul had been born. You know, all the patrols before that, we were like, whatever, man, let's do this. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yep. Falling asleep, you know, in the front seat because it's just, just bored and tired, not really worried about anything. You're like, if you get um, blown up, I you re- get a helicopter right back. You don't have to be in a truck for 12 hours. That's right. <laughs> oh, thank God. So, Look on the bright side. But I remember, yep. <laughs> I remember that that first time I was at Kandahar and I was like, like a, I had a moment of pause and a moment of fear and anxiety. I was like, because there was something different. And I remember, man, I remember that. I don't remember most of those patrols because no, I've been I, hitting my head a lot. But, so you know. literally, my my first my first real engagements, I got shot in the helmet with a PKM round, right? Two near ambushes in one day, and uh, one one during the day and one coming back at night. And where I'm were like, you guys? Cobra. <laughs> oh yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, sorry, you guys over Cobra, yeah. 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 So I was like, holy shit! I'm like, if this could be like this all the time, I'm I'm, I'm having a kid first thing I can get back, like because yeah. I don't know how much longer this is gonna last. And I remember after I had my kid going back, I'd be like, all right, you know, I still love doing these things. But like I said, you second guess, like, okay, before running into gunfire for fun, maybe I should think about what's home, right? That changes absolutely 110%. Uh, absolutely. I'll, I'll never forget those. Like, were you on, were you, because I can't, I can't remember, man, I'm sorry. Were you um, on the, uh, on the deployment up at Cobra when Q-Che got killed? Was that the same? So we trip? just ripped out. That was the team that uh, we okay. just left when that happened. So that was 2-1 okay. and 2-5. Yeah. Uh, we had just left, and we were uh, we went to Shindan after that. So, okay. yeah, we, we pulled out of Cobra and went out west with the commandos. But that place was insane. Like, the fact that we all talk about everyone laughs at it now. Like, how do we live at, coming out of that place? It was I mean, quiet until you idiots got there. When I had <laughs> DR, we would have to drive up there, and there was no presence there. Man, we never had a problem. That, Everyone always said that. Guys... Like, There's nothing going on there. You guys are, you know, rebuilding a team. Don't worry about anything. And we're like, we're getting reports. There's like hundreds of dudes massing in this area, and they're like, oh, it's, it's no, there's no way. Uh, <laughs> and, and fields, then, nothing. Don't worry about that. No, don't uh, worry about those. The bowl you're in, three side high ground, and direct attack in your base with rockets and small arms fire while geez. you're sleeping. <laughs> so you were yeah, down in a valley. It was... Yes. Well, what's yeah, the yeah. logic of that? I mean, because again, you know, 
just strategic assume- place on the Hellman River. It was a, a place between two other fire bases where there's an MSR, so a supply route that had to be protected and that area had to be open. But before it was, they used it for the same reasons we wanted to protect it, right? And it was just as valuable to them as us. So we literally had to fight for our turf every day. So it was it was it was like punching the time card, right? You knew as soon as you crossed this line, you were gonna get in a gunfight or get blown up. So yeah. That, yeah, they that would like, just get when we so we didn't have a presence there before those and when I was so when I was up in that area, we would have to go from our fire base, we'd have to go to those places and it would take days to get there. So we would just go there and they'd just go away. They'd just be like, Well, these guys would be here for a day. It's not worth it. Just leave, <laughs> wait until they leave. And then we yeah. leave. You know what I mean? So I'd go up there and I'd have tea and we'd have goat and then we'd, you know, try to negotiate this and that and then we left and but when they would go in there that with like a big operation, then things yeah. would go to hell in a handbasket. Oh, so yeah. But for us, they'd be like, ah, we'll just wait until those guys leave. And then we established a permanent presence up there. And they were like, well, I guess they're not leaving. So we'll try to make them leave. Yeah, that, yeah. that was that. I remember sitting out at the piss tubes with 107 rockets going by or sitting in the guard shack when the ring flights were coming. And a friggin' 107 went right by me and landed right after the helicopter took off. You know, I, I mean, I saw everything there. That was my first experience in Afghanistan. I was just like, well, OK, you know, that's when you ex- pretty much accept you're a living dead guy. And you're just like. Nothing you can do. Might as well just go have fun doing it. But, yeah. you know. So for and- those of you who don't know, a piss tube is a piece of PVC driven into the ground that you use as a urinal. It's horrific. It gets pretty bad after about a month. It's the number one uh, uh, transmitter of, of sexually transmitted diseases. <laughs> it depends on how tall you are and what you're born with. <laughs> so, let me, so, so let me ask you. I got another question for you about, yeah. about, I mean, about, um, about the immune system because I've heard a lot about this. I know you're not, a, you know, you're not a, an immunologist or, you know, a cellular biologist, but um, what about, because uh, we've talked a lot about supplementation. You got me on to um, magnesium, you know, to try and um, supplement for, you know, for sleep, muscle breathing, all that kind of stuff. Um, what about uh, the, the, the advice for um, supplementing zinc? with something that helps it to permeate the cell, which it doesn't, I don't know the science, but I know that zinc won't get in the cell without like turmeric, you know, what do you think about all that? So uh, one is they call them supplements for a reason because it supplements your food, right? If you're getting the stuff you need from your food, supplements would be just helping that out, right? And then the other thing goes back to is gut status. So the status and health of your digestive tract, it's not permeated and inflamed, right? And then the status of your microbiome. And usually what they see with people who are stressed or military that were forced to take antibiotics for six to 12 months at a time for over two decades, that our biodiversity and our microbiome shot, right? So we're dysbiosis, imbalance of gut flora, and we're acidic and we're inflamed. And then that's when you start noticing that I never had that food allergy to this, or I ate bread or drank a beer and I'm bloated and gassy, right? So think about if you're taking all these supplements and they go into your GI tract and your immune system's going, uh-uh, and flushing these things out. A lot of those processes, your microbiome has how it breaks everything down. Those bacteria, those fungi in there, all those things work and respond to everything you put in your body. And then you respond to those microbiome how you feel. You're like, oh, I feel like shit after I ate that. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, you do, because those guys feel like shit after you ate that as well. They're causing that biochemical reaction to make you feel like shit. Your neurotransmitters, your catecholamines, and your hormones depend on that status of the gut flora. So going back to that is looking at that food, right? 
we're trying to make sure your food is being optimally digested and absorbed. And so if, if you're not even at that level, you're, you haven't identified that I, I think I have IBS or, you know, I am irregular and going to the bathroom six times a day and it looks like snot coming out, then all those things are probably not too effective. And you probably want to look at fixing that gut first and identifying the causes of that inflammation, right? And we go back to those external stress, whether it's stress, alcohol, tobacco products, uh, stuff you brought back from Africa, like parasites or bacteria and fungus. You have to go look for those things, right? Getting with the right type of medical provider. I won't supplement with anything unless I know I have to supplement it, right? So you always hear everything, take all these millions of probiotics. Well, if you're taking the probiotic that you're overpopulated in and you add more into it, you could cause some serious problems, right? Or if you're missing one complete strain of something and you're taking the wrong strain, it's not doing anything. So for me, I went and got tested. There's ways you can get tested out there. And then I found out because I had three parasites in me coming back from Africa. I was vitamin D deficient and my liver and my kidneys were inflamed and it was causing me not to absorb vitamin D and, and not absorb, but activate and produce vitamin D, which is a hormone. I was deficient in those things. Once I got rid of, I'm getting, I just actually finished my anti-parasites uh, last week. But as this is happening, that whole environment in my gut's been changing again. And you can start to see you're getting more regular. And some of those aches and pains or flaky skin on your face or skin conditions you had start to go away. And then once you fix that, you get rid of the causes of that inflammation and you start fixing those things, you can reintroduce some of those things you might have been reacting to later. For example, gluten or like beer, right? Because it's got gluten in it or yeast or some of those things. Imagine having yeast overgrown in your gut and you're hammering down beer every night before bed. Do you think that's helping out your gut? Absolutely not, right? You're adding fuel to the fire. So you can start doing things like the elimination diet, pulling dairy, gluten, and all those things out of your diet and see how your body responds. You'll, you'll notice that your belly will not be distended. You won't be gassy. You won't be achy. All those things will start happening. You can do self-experimentation with that. But uh, if you can get access to getting those, you can get food uh, intolerances and food allergy and environmental testing done. Prick tests, right? That you can do that. That's a normal test to your doctor's office. Most people aren't aware they can go do and don't realize it could probably be like 70% of their health issues that everything they're eating or stuff that's in their home, they're breathing in. That's causing an allergic reaction, causing that inflammatory response. So going back to the zinc and optimizing that, uh, get it from your, your fruits and vegetables, more colors, the better, and then get tested. See if your zinc is low. If your zinc is low, supplement and get the right the right form. I'm not a dietitian, so I'm not going to get into that. But uh, if you're working with a good medical provider that can test those things and you're concerned about them, just be like, hey, I want to see where I'm at with these things. Zinc's not a far shot. It's not like you're asking to get testosterone looked at, right? I mean, zinc, magnesium, calcium, you know, um, not phosphorus, what's the word I'm looking, potassium. <laughs> Sorry, all those things, they control all those cellular functions in your body with your metabolism and your immune system. And they're important. You watch what happens with magnesium's off, your heart's going to be off, right? Like guaranteed, or you're going to have anxiety. So you need to look at all those things. They're balanced. Your body will let you know when they're off. You might just think of that arrhythmia and that irregular heart rates, you know, normal, but you can be missing some type of minerals or vitamins. Yeah. potassium yeah. like get started getting calf cramps right you, the myth right when you get older trying to make a love and you get the, the calf cramps that leg gets right? stuck you're like ah. <laughs> always at the worst time like not now <laughs> so all right so we're talking about kidneys dehydration and, and cramping of muscle contraction right that's a sign that hey 
you're either too acidic in your body, you're dehydrated, or you're missing minerals. Those are the indicators, check engine lights. So if you notice all those things happening, then absolutely. Taking those types of vitamins, your body, you can't get too much of them. They're not fat soluble. So your body will flush them out on their own. But just I, make sure you have the right ones. It's so yeah, funny. I, just, I was just, I mean, that, I've heard that a lot. I've heard, I listened to a couple of, I listened to a couple of different lectures about, you know, about zinc and its importance in, preventing the, you know, the, the yeah. virus. Yeah. From, yeah. From preventing the, you know, having that same effect that you're talking about that the, that the, um, the vaccine is supposed to have, which yeah. is to prevent it being able to replicate or latch on to sell whatever the hell it does. Um, that, you know, you can, you can build up that immunity with a healthy, you know, with a healthy diet too. But again, that's back to our original conundrum of, you know, nobody's talking about the crisis we had before the crisis. The health crisis. You know? um, and I'm, and I'm, again, uh, the things that we look for that we hope people take away from this experience is, is, you know, recognizing that they need to have, they need to be healthy to, to you know, they need just better healthy lifestyle, you know? And I think, if, I think they are. Yeah. I think people are going if, that way. If you put as much effort as you do into social media and your job and your work into taking ownership of health and action, this isn't a rental car, right? You can't go buy and lease a new one of these, right? This is the only one you're going to get. And people are like, I don't want to spend money on organic food. It's too expensive. Or I don't want to spend money on fish oil. It's too expensive. But I always go back to this. Every podcast I do, everything I do, you spend $400,000 on a house, $60,000 on a car, and all your other toys you have. But when you want to spend 100 bucks on some supplements, you're like, oh, it's too expensive. You can't get another one of these, man. Like, Invest everything in this and then everything else in your life will be a lot better, I promise. And I mean, this is a vessel that takes us to do all the things we want to do, enjoy all the things in life. And when this thing is in better operational shape, life is way more enjoyable than fighting disease all the time, right? Being one foot in the doctor's office and the other foot in the grave is no way to live. I want to enjoy it, right? So I want to have fun. I don't want to be in pain, suffering, and, you know, taking a, a zombie cocktail of drugs to try to get by and exist. You know, you know, where I am right behind me, it's a die living. You know what I'm saying? Like, do it, but be the most, you know, go back to being a warrior, the most lethal, effective thing on the battlefield, right? Be the most effective thing and optimal thing in life. You know, go thrive and enjoy it. Like, everything we do, making bad decisions, it takes us down from that, right? So if you know how to make better decisions and have the same amount of fun, but doing it in a healthy way, I mean, we should be teaching and embracing that. I mean, we can still go out and have a couple of drinks once in a while, but we're Americans. We do everything. Why have one when you can have 15, right? Or why well, want to have one cheeseburger when I can supersize it? But well, look to at be it. fair, it is Friday, and Friday is pizza night in the Tulane household. Oh, that's right. So. That's right. <laughs> I, I, my favorite food is sushi, and I would love to eat pizza, but sushi's got a ton of mercury in it, and pizza's got dairy in it, and my gut can't handle that right now with bread and dairy, but I'll do it once in a while, and I know yeah. the consequence, but hey, after I do this, I got to do this. So that's where you, you do the balance, yeah. but make that's better decisions. Yeah, I think you it's really important. You, you're talking about the, the – no. And it's uh, – Especially the older you get, you just start to experiment with things. I, I know one thing, and I'm starting to, to do this again. And I did this for a while, and, and the results were pretty amazing. But I started a kind of like a bastardized version of the Bulletproof diet. So basically what I would do is no sugar, no carbs. I'd have my fats in the morning and my coffee, none of that stuff until 5 o'clock at night. I'd eat whatever the hell I wanted to. And so it, it would trigger something in my you know my metabolic system, which was it, 
essentially was starved most of the day. And, you know, the worst was, thing you can do for your body uh-huh. is to go to sleep with low blood sugar. Exactly. And that's the thing. I was like, I would sleep like a rock. I was getting yes. muscle definition and growth without working out on various yes. things. I was like, that's a really interesting thing. Uns- un- unstable blood sugar before bed is the worst thing for your metabolism. One of the worst things for setting up inflammation and also prevents you from deep sleeping. Yeah. But what I, what I noticed is like you said, I would sleep, yeah. I would sleep so much better. My body yeah. had all the glycogen stored that it needed. So if I was going to go ride that day or whatever it might be, get yeah. up and have two cups of coffee with, you know, oil and, and yeah. that stuff in it. And what I also noticed is that gut inflammation went way down. I, yep. could, I was like, oh, man, look, I actually have a flat stomach. And because you realize that when I, if I was just, well, I'm going to start by having toast or whatever it might be, even when yeah. I was riding and racing all the time, it was like I was yeah. having to use extra muscles to keep my stomach back. Yeah. Because you know, I was like, gosh, I just feel kind of yep. bloated and, and nasty. Yeah. It's, just, it's, a, it's an interesting thing how your body changes yeah. that way. Well, and, I mean, that goes- I, and you've and you've clearly capitalized. I mean, you, you've figured some stuff out, Jared. I mean, there's a lot to be said for the benefits of, you know, when there's hard work to do, convincing one of your friends to do it for you while you fucking watch him do it. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm mentally, the it's called mental strength. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's uh, yeah, I'm, I'm mentally Here strong. Yeah, <laughs> I've, I've, I've learned how to manipulate my friends. Yeah, yep. for sure. Hey, man, look, this is awesome. Um, you know, this has been this has been great. It's been clearly one of our best episodes. You have such oh, an unbelievable Jeez. mastery. Honestly, you know, the advice you've given me over the years has made a lot of difference. Um, it was, I got a lot of work to do still. You know what I mean? Like, I, you know, I joke around all the time. I've been hitting the head a lot. But I mean, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of dark shades in those MRIs. But, you know, um, it's been it's 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 been you're making the difference in a lot of people's lives. I'm so happy to see, you know, you dedicated to the to the initiatives you're dedicated to. I mean, that in and of itself is just going to make you healthier. The, the ability to know the impact that you had, the psychological effect of that. And even though maybe sometimes it keeps us up at night because we're too focused on trying to find new ways to help people, man, you're doing, you're doing important work in the, in the world. And, and it's, yeah. uh, it's appreciated more than, you know, and the fact that you were able to spend some time with us here today, it's, it's just been awesome, man. Yeah. I appreciate it. Like I said, I'm humbled. Uh, whatever I can do to help, you know, that that's my passion in life is helping other people, but making a difference, making an impact and, you know, I've got mine attitude is my pet peeve, right? I'm good. Screw all those people. But look at look at the position we're in right now as a nation. And that's where it got us. Right. So let's take care of each other. Let's, you know, look out for each other and make the world a better place. So I'm all about that. Awesome, man. Awesome. Thank you, Jeff. And uh, we uh, would love to, you know, I seem like I say this on, you know, because we've just been having some really, we've been really specific about the people we invite onto the show. As though we have millions of listeners, we're like, yeah, we got a handful, but we're gonna vet every person we have on the show. Like, yeah. it's, you know, we have a. I'm glad I made the cut. <laughs> oh, big time! Uh, we've you been lucky. Me. We've been lucky. Well, we'd love to have you back on, man. There's just, I think this is a conversation going on for hours. Uh, but Paul, you know, one of the things Paul always points out here is the, you know, like how we always want to wrap up the uh, the show here. So, Paul, why don't you go ahead and uh, ask that time honored question we ask all of our guests. Oh, oh, oh yeah right I almost I kind of forgot actually yeah so so you know obviously the best pandemic ever podcast we're all about silver linings all about the lessons that we can take from this experience that are positive and will help us to get to a better place so um the uh the, the million dollar question is you know what is the one big positive that you're taking away from this experience if you uh, can choose one being able to share the message of like I said we're, we're in a pandemic right now but don't be afraid to live 
right? Don't be, a, that's not living. Living in fear is not living, right? That's existing. And uh, like I said, reach out to the people that are struggling and bring them up. Don't push them down. If we can do that, I think we'll all be better off on the end of this. And like I said, when we come out of this thing, people are going to have a new lease on life. And that that's the most valuable takeaway I have. Don't take life for granted and make every day count. That's my biggest thing. Time is your most valuable resource. Don't waste it. Don't piss it away. You only get one chance. Awesome, man. Awesome. We appreciate it. We appreciate you coming on. You made it this far? You were there. Fell asleep. Yeah, I mean, you know, this will be the end of your credibility. We apologize for that. But nevertheless, we we appreciate it. All right. Thanks, guys. All right, man. Thanks, man. All right. Take it easy. See ya. Bye. See ya.